0: In this episode, I've travelled to the far north coast of New South Wales, but I'm in the stunning hinterland as opposed to beachside. they have had some heavy rain of late and my rental car looks like it's done a stage of the World Rally Championship as I arrive, much to my guest's delight. He's having a good laugh about it. It's here that former MotoGP mechanic Alex Briggs has escaped after almost 30 years travelling with the World Motorcycle Championship. It's actually been his home for quite some time, so he's racked up some frequent flyers and also done some decent stints away from family while working in the pit lane. It was a tight-knit crew he was with, including some Aussies and Kiwis who worked with some of the greats, including Valentino Rossi and Mick Doohan. Alex was on the tools, playing a significant part in no less than 12 Premier Class World titles, five straight with Doohan and a magnificent seven with Rossi. As you'll hear, Briggs still loves bikes and is working around them again while hot rodding golf clubs of all things. No, I didn't read that wrong. He's learned a lot from Jeremy Burgess, who you can also find in the Rusty's Garage Library. Both respectfully waited until they'd finished their MotoGP chapters before sharing their stories. Like Jeremy, you'll enjoy some of Alex's behind-the-scenes insights on life in the paddock and what makes champions tick. Now, I've kind of had the red carpet rolled out for me here. His wife, Ellen, a successful stand-up comedian, has made coffee and insisted that I use her podcast gear, which is already set up and good to go. All we have to do is grab a seat and let the conversation begin. We'll talk more about Ellen a little later, but we kick things off with early life for Alex in Canberra and what made him gravitate to
1: bikes. Pretty normal, normal suburban house with my parents. Both my father worked for the CSIRO, which was like a government science department. So I'm sure he used to just cry when he walked past my bedroom once we got into <laughs> motorcycles, but there's funny stories with him as well. And, and uh, my mum, she basically, Towards the end, I owned, a, owned a, a shop that sold jokes and uh, and uh, makeup and stuff like that for what's called the Funny Shop. Yeah, so uh, very interesting. She's uh, her, her background's German, although she never spoke German in the house. Which now, as uh, years have gone by, I would have. I mean, I wish I learnt something like that. But anyway, and and how do I get into bikes and stuff like that? Basically, I used to be into sport. I used to play cricket in summer mm-hmm. and uh, hockey in. In winter was soccer, and uh, one of the kids had a mini bike. It when I was probably year seven. Can you remember what kind of mini bike Actually, it was? Actually, no, no, now now I remember now exactly what happened. I got billeted to Daniloquin as a uh, like a boarder for, boarding. Yeah, for yeah. for hockey though. Like, like so, we that. had like an inter school thing with well, this school in Daniloquin. So we went. This is it. yeah. Now it's all coming back to me. <laughs> so we went there and. Um, and the kid was on a farm, like a really big farm, you know, and uh, he had a KX80, uh, Kawasaki 80cc yep. minibike and I'd never ridden a motorbike in my life and the guy said, oh, you know, I'll show you how to ride. So there we were, just we used to just rip up and down this guy's farm uh, road, which was like a couple of kilometre road to the house um, and that's it. I just was hooked from that minute on. I mean, the first time you ride a motorbike, like you know, no helmet, just in – Probably school uniform up and down this road, just like going. Wow, you know, you think you're doing a million miles an hour, and uh, that was it. I was hooked. Came home, and a friend of mine had a mini bike, a little tiny Honda. Oh, I don't know what the really little ones were called, like a QR, but you know, tiny yep. little mini bike. Yep. And I used to. This is how bad it was. I used to carry his bag home if he <laughs> let me ride around the backyard on this bike. You know, so because uh, I was just, I was just hooked then. So then. That was it. And then I saved up some money, uh, bought a KX80. How did you do that? Did, well, you, did you have like a paper run or you sold toys or Wash, something? What did you just, do? I just washed cars, my mum and dad's cars, and they overpaid me. Uh-huh. And then I also uh, well, later on I mowed lawns for money to go racing because uh, I remember I lost... I lost the ten bucks entry fee, and my mum said, "I'm not giving you any more." And I said, "Shit, I've got a, I've got a race <laughs> tomorrow, um, so car, I just I just grabbed the mower and just walked down the street mm-hmm. and just went into every house with a lawnmower and my can of fuel and said, "I'll mow your lawn. I'll mow your lawn for ten bucks to ten bucks, you know." And I eventually, I found somebody, and I mowed his lawn for like I don't know years. I mowed this guy's lawn. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was another bike-related story. The racing took place where? Fairbairn Park and yeah, places like that in yeah. Canberra? Yeah, so, so in the Canberra they, there was pretty good, when I was growing up, there was a pretty good uh, short circuit track. Yeah. And then just near the short circuit track was uh, a motocross track called the Kamagatsa. Okay. That's what everyone called it, yeah, because, like, you, you know, that's you exactly what would happen. It was a rocky, harsh, harsh place, man. hmm Anyway, so we do short circuit. There was a junior short circuit track and then a senior short short circuit track, which was quite a quite a good track in the day. So I would in the mornings you would do short circuit, mm-hmm. and in the afternoon you would either, if you had the money, you would change wheels, and and then race motocross in the afternoon. Awesome. I did it for a little while, and then I just said to my dad, "I don't like short circuit. I like motocross." You know. Okay. Uh, which is kind of interesting how we ended up in road racing and didn't like short circuit, circuit, which is kind of a you know almost like a derivative. But anyway, motocross was my thing, and I just thought this is it. You know, I'm going to be world champion, you know? and <laughs> uh, and that's how it ha- that's how it started. But I was I was kind of a late starter. You know, I think it was probably. 16 or 15 when I started you know yeah. so you know all the all the good guys are already you know, champions by then but. who were the influencers
0: was it um, you know Craig Dack who you would end up working for was it Jeff Leesk? who were the guys that inspired you then
1: at that, at that time it was all about um, America you know mm-hmm. like, so I just would wait for them uh, the magazine called motocross action yeah I used to have I used to have surfing magazines I do that a little bit too but you know, living in Canberra was a two-hour drive but you know the, the posters soon got replaced. On the, I had them on my roof and everywhere I was surfing and stuff. They soon got replaced just with motorcycle, uh, motocross riders from America. Pretty much like who? Oh, there would be the Ricky Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Amara, David Bailey. Those people were like just like for me were were gods. You know, I just yeah. was exactly like how kids probably would look to Valentino Rossi. You know, yeah. like or they did. You know, so it was like that. So I I just had them everywhere, and I was and I just couldn't wait for this magazine to come in. You know, like a month late. Yeah. yeah, it was great. I did you, it. did you
0: lose any bark along the way? And what, what was the relationship with dad? Like, is he on the tools and helping you? Are you listening to him? Are you trying to do it your way? How, how what was that all like?
1: Basically we learned, I mean, I, I got into mechanics because of the bikes mm-hmm. and I got into all of that. And so did he, like he, he was, he, he was, a re, he's a really smart guy, mm-hmm. um, still is, but, uh, but in a different way, you know, like in a scientific kind of way. Like so, it, yeah. uh, so there we, we would have this KX80 in the laundry. We didn't have a shed. We didn't have a garage. We'd have it in the laundry <laughs> of the house. My mum just <laughs> fucking hated it, But she'd put up with it. So there it was just sitting in the, in the middle of the laundry... And we had to change piston rings one time, you know. So yeah. my dad's reading the manual and I'm reading the manual, and we it was like a two day job, you know, <laughs> like to to get this air cooled uh, air cooled motorcycle apart. And off we did, and we we felt so proud, you know, like that was the first big job we'd ever done on a, on a motorcycle. And by then I was sort of hooked, you know, yeah. and I, and I decided that I wanted to be a mechanic for trade, you know. But yeah. it basically started from the motorbike. I didn't really think at that time, I guess, I wanted to be a world champion or anything, but I kind of had that inkling that I like riding motorcycles. So I ended up getting a trade as a mechanic in Canberra. On buses, wasn't it? Yeah, that right? yeah, that's Government right. Government buses? Government bus service. So I didn't, basically I went to my uh, careers advisor like you do in school and the guy just went, you know, who are, you're a loser basically, right? So yeah, I hate those sort of, anyway.
0: So... Isn't that funny how that ironically motivates you? Yeah. You know,
1: you're so wound up about, you know, what the hell would you know Mm. and look where you've gone. Yeah, well, I see it with kids today. You know, I Mm. I talk to other kids and stuff and people, you know, I've done talks about my job and, Mm. you know, for schools and a few other things and it's always interesting talking to those people, you know the careers advisors, they just sort of miss the boat with mm. these kids, you know, they, they just haven't found the thing that they like, you know, mm. so they don't do particularly well on the things that they don't like and so the teacher assumes that they're an idiot or mm. something. But anyway, so this career advisor basically looked at me and just went, looked at my grades and stuff and said, mate, this was I, this is when year 11. So in Canberra you did year 10 and then you went to did year 11 and 12 at a, at a college they'd call it, yeah. like as preparation for university sort of like a TAFE or a, or a... No, no, it wasn't a TAFE. It's just it's just like uh, just the last year before you would go to uni. Okay. But some schools yeah. in other states go all the way to year 12 and then you off you go. But in Canberra you did year 11 and 12. It's kind of their opinion was it was you sort of were a little bit more on your own, so you're getting you used to being mm. ready for university, I guess. So anyway, so I was in year 11. I was doing what would I'd get me a very low entrance score into university, I guess. <laughs> And uh, the careers advisor said, "I think you should start applying for jobs now because mm-hmm. you're going to have to get used to getting knocked back. You know, basically, you are just saying you're not going to get anywhere." So anyway, I went and did um, work experience at this government bus company, and I just, I just loved it. Loved it. Like you couldn't believe the guys were great. Just uh, and I, I don't know, the motorcycle thing started me on the mechanics, and then I just loved it. It was mm. great. Anyway, then an apprenticeships the government apprenticeships turned around and, and said, okay, we're having an intake of apprentices. Um, so I applied. Yeah. And there was like hundreds of people, you know, like big, big intake of people and lots of people applying. And, uh, I, you know, I was all nervous, you know. I turned up there and, and there was a, I was sitting like a desk kind of like this, but there was, there was engine parts on it, parts I did, had never seen before, you yep. know. And then there was a panel of four or five guys I was just like, no, you know, and I'm there in like a pencil thin tie, leather tie in the, <laughs> in, the in the 80s. I know right, those you know, ties, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then like uh, Miami Vice, yeah, <laughs> it was that style. And I was in like was a little cheap suit that my mum had bought me, just all all wrong, you know. But cool. anyway, and these guys asked me questions about. The mechanical parts, but also about life and TV and politics and real but real weird stuff, you know, like yeah. which I understand now. I was just seeing if you're sort of grounded, I guess, and mm. worldly and yeah, a little of, bit, you yeah. know, just to see mm. what you would say, you know. So and I think I nailed most of the parts and they had a, I remember they had a turbo on there and a few other little things. Um and they asked me about who was the prime minister at the time, a few other things. And you know, yeah. I did okay didn't hear anything back from him for ages. So then I rang up maybe three weeks later and said, oh, I, I applied for this apprenticeship. How did, how did I go? What's happening? And the lady said, hang on, what's your name? Blah, blah, blah. blah. Briggs. And I said, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, you're you're starting uh, next such and such. Uh, you're <laughs> second on the list. And I've gone, shit, you know, here, I've got this job. So I quit school yep. and started as an apprentice bus mechanic and, uh, I did that. That was great. So, what's the first set of wheels? Was it you know motocrossers often liked high ace vans and things? What did you have? Well, the high ace came came a little later. The first car, and still probably one of my biggest mistakes in my life was not the car, but what I did to it. You know, like what did you do? What was it? Well, I had an XY Falcon U. <sighs> like now they're going for silly money, you know, right? So, <laughs> so I bought two grand, two grand, I think it cost. Yeah. Maybe this I can't. What remember state that. was it in? What colour? What? What, what tells it It was, it was a it was a white white one. I bought it in Queanbeyan, yeah. which is uh, not far from Canberra. Yeah, yeah. Just across the road Border. from yeah. uh, from. Uh, Mark Webber's dad's shop. Servo, yeah, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, the yeah. shop, sorry, yes. Oh, yeah, we had like a servo at the yeah. shop. I forget exactly. It was a motorbike shop, a Yamaha shop. At the time, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was just across the road from there. I forget what it was called, but anyway, so car dealer and I bought this car when my dad's come and looked at it and, you know, okay, spent, I spent all my money from my first year apprentice wage or well, something like that. I can't exactly remember, but, yeah. But then I, I butchered it, you know. Like Did I, you? Well, the car was okay for quite a while but it used, it like, started using more oil than petrol. And uh, <laughs> so, so then I, I came across an engine from a, from an XF Falcon Ute and, and uh, the guy said, oh, yeah, you can buy this. So I bought this engine from a car, I don't know how many years later the car version is, like, 15 years later, later or whatever. Anyway, yeah. the engine fits, like, straight in, right? The exhaust bolts up and everything. Like, that didn't change anything except for the throttle cable. Was, uh, it was a cable not a not levers. Okay. Did that, and uh I remember trying to register it, and the guy said you can't because it's got too much power. And I said it's the same capacity. It was a four point, what are they? Four point one or something? It's the same capacity, and, and the guy had an argument with me. And I said read the rules, you know. So we we'll check the rules. <laughs> you but, said read yeah, the rules, yeah, because I'd read them. I'd read them, and uh, you're allowed as long as the engine capacity hasn't changed. He wanted me to be put disc brakes on the front of this car. Yeah, I didn't have the money for that. So anyway. Passed it and off it, off it went. I had that for years. Then the high ace vans came, in okay. and it was just a constant stream of high ace yeah. vans. So
0: tell me the story then, because from memory you're earning about thirty five grand as a
1: as a government bus mechanic. That's pretty good money for a young bloke back I, then. Well, by the time I'd finished, I'd got my trade, and it was I think about thirty grand. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So you then
0: get an opportunity to go and work for a motocross team that involved Craig, Dak and others. I think it was Sydney based. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And you, for significantly less pay, decide to up and leave, move to Sydney,
1: sleep on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Pretty <laughs> so much. Tell us that story. Well, so up until that point, I've been racing bikes and thinking I was going to be a world champion and I've travelled all around Australia with all my mates. And, uh, what was the reality that that maybe you wouldn't be world champion? Or you turned wouldn't. out I was better at fixing them than yeah. uh, riding them. So, uh, yeah. But some, some of my mates were really good riders, you know, Like, yeah. and so we'd drive in these high ace vans all across, crisscrossing the country and I'd, I'd work on their bikes in car parks at hotels. We'd put the bikes in the hotels and stuff and be at the car park and stuff like that. And anyway... I kind of got a little bit of a name for fixing these guys' bikes, I guess. Sometimes people would say, who's working on your bike? I started porting engines and and uh, doing suspension and all sorts of stuff for these guys that were quite good and they were winning, you know. Yep. Were, um, there was a guy called Stan Berg and he was a 125 rider. He did really well and I was kind of good mates with him. There was a whole group of guys from Sydney, you know, we mm-hmm. used to travel. Anyway, so and then I uh, ended up with... Uh, a broken tailbone from practising somewhere, uh, a bargo, I think I was practising with some friends. Had an awkward jump landing. Oh, I can't team. remember, yeah, you know, yeah. just probably cartwheel the thing around <laughs> for end, you know, who knows, trying to be better than I was. So anyway, so I'm driving home, you know, thinking about my life. I've got two bikes. I've got a race bike and a practice bike. I was pretty serious at that stage. Get a phone call uh, a few weeks later from someone from a guy called Ross McWaters, yep. and he said, oh, "Would you like to uh, be a mechanic for Yamaha uh, Australia with the motocross team? You know, yep. in Weatherall Park, uh, Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson Yamaha. You know, and my rider would be Stephen Andrew, I think it yep. was." Um, so Dacre was in the team though, wasn't he? I think was he the other rider at that stage? I'm trying to remember. No, he came. He came back. I think. The following year, yeah, okay. from I think he was yep. in the UK, I think it yep. finished. Oh, it's hard to remember all back then, but anyway, yeah. Ben Paris, I think, was the other rider. Was it Ben Paris? Shit. No, maybe not. Anyway, you knew your rider, and anyway, and yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, uh, so yeah, I went, all right, look, I'm going to pack it in here and uh, I'm going to go and do that. So, Went to twenty grand before tax. Didn't <laughs> stayed at Ross's house on the floor at Ross's house in the spare room. Roll, a, roll out futon and all sorts of Exactly, the, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was the cheapest thing I could buy. High Ace van, sold my bikes, bought a futon, and uh, rolled that out. I slept on that for ages. I can't even remember what happened after that. But anyway, so I stayed at Ross's house, basically. Oh, Ross ended up moving to another apartment and I moved with him there and slept, a, you know, had a bedroom with yeah. him. Yeah, rented uh, a room and off you went. Of closer to Weatherall Park for a while, yeah. 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 Uh, so did you, I mean, you... So that's what happened, yeah. You
0: completed in it and, you know, clearly loved it. Now you've sort of transitioned to... The mechanical side with a with a good team. What were their learnings and all of that? Did you love it even more? Did you sort of think this is a bit of me? I, I want to continue. In, in my sense, I was a terrible go karter. Right, I did some yeah. fun stuff for the old yeah. man, and and uh, commentary and things morphed out of an opportunity that that I went. This is a great way to stay involved with the game that you love and learn more about the people and just offer something different, but be connected to
1: the sport. So obviously, that must have been a similar realisation for you in some way, was it? I, I, just, love, I just loved motocross and I loved racing and I loved everything about it. And mm. I don't know, I just, it was definitely not worked for me. Like I enjoyed mm. it. We did lots of, I guess you had caught overtime, but we were just mucking around in the, in the, in the shed really, yeah. you know. Til, till of sort yamma. of late at night. Sometimes, yeah, there, yeah. yeah, but just playing, you know, mm. like doing stupid stuff and polishing things and learning all the whole time, learning mm. what not to do, what to do. Any late night test runs? Um, sometimes we'd get them out and ride around the back of the car park at Weatherall Park and there was this like a forklift ramp that they'd, they'd back up to trucks and you'd, you'd drive up a forklift and then, you know, load stuff into the back of a yeah. pallet truck. So it was like a back of a truck height and that made a perfect jump. So we used to <laughs> used to do that, but you'd just destroy the tyres in a heartbeat. So I remember... Uh, remember yeah, get in trouble over that, did you? <laughs> yeah, but Ross would have a go too sometimes, but yeah. yeah. And, uh, so so how, we, many, how many years did you do that for? Were you with them for? I think it was probably... It wasn't, it wasn't really a long time. It was maybe just under three years. I was like, I think, 92, 93. And no, no, 91, 92. Oh, something like that, only a couple of years, you know, really really quite a short time. But I'd met a lot of people in that time, you know, hmm. because I, I still had this dream of just, oh, actually the dream of kind of evolved. I wanted to know more, do more, and then I decided I wanted to go to Europe. Yep. so I decided I want to go to Europe as a motocross mechanic. And and motocross opened the the doors for you to do that.
0: Initially, the path was going to be instead of circuit racing it was actually going to be via motocross, wasn't it? Yeah, and you, you had a deal. You actually
1: you did a handshake deal with the team, I think, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I just met all these people. I'd even I even went to Japan. I'd been to Japan in that time mm-hmm. f- because there was a, the Wind Safari was called. Oh, yes. Well, no, well, maybe it was a different sponsor at that time. PIAA maybe or mm-hmm. something. Anyway, there was basically effectively the Wind Safari. And they they'd asked for a mechanic and said, you, we, we, we've we got two factory Japanese riders and we have, have uh, an, an Aussie guy, I forget the guy's name, uh, and he's going to kind of show the the Japanese guys how, how it all is, gets all done. And so they invited me to do that and there was no money and I said, yeah, I'm doing that, I'll do that. So I did that. It was great, you know, like you just. Then from there we went, uh, they invited me to go to Japan. So I went, wow. No money. I had to pay my own way. They said, you can come to the factory. So off I went to the factory in Japan, uh, I spent Christmas there, 90, must have been Christmas Sorry, or four? 90. No, no, because 93 is when I went to went went to Europe, so it might have been 90. Maybe I've got the years a little mm-hmm. bit and maybe it's 90, 91, something like that. But okay. Anyway, so around 92, Christmas in, I spent in Japan for Yamaha Japan, like the factory that I... Ended up going back to years later, you know, like what Amazing. a what a what a yeah. unbelievable story, really. Mm. But anyway, so this factory couldn't believe my light, my eyes, just everything about Japan. There's so many stories about that, and mm. just the first time in Japan. And I'd never been there. Did you go okay with language barriers and things? Like oh, man, it was it was just unreal, you know. Mm. I was just and it was it was a time when you go to Japan back then, it was um. No, nothing was in English. Like mm-hmm. maybe the very central Tokyo stations had English. Everything else didn't, you know. So mm. it was interesting. And I remember walking around Iwata, which is where the factory Yamaha is. Just walking around on the weekend one day, um, and these girls had locked their keys in the car. You know, like these two two girls, I went up to them and said, "Oh, you know, hey, how's it going?" It's kind of thing like probably as Aussie as. As possible or as, as you could imagine, and they've just gone. They're freaked out, you know. Like I've gone, I thought you were an expert or murderer. I or don't something know like what that. they were thinking, but anyway, they were just <laughs> laughing and giggling, and, and I drew a picture of a coat hanger in the dirt. Mm-hmm. I said, "Can you go and get me one of them sort of thing?" Yep. Like, oh, I can't speak any Japanese. And uh, anyway, they come back with a coat hanger. I unwind the coat hanger and shove, it, bend <laughs> it up, and shove it in the in the window sill so and un- unlock their car. And they freaked out. It was like a magic trick, you know. Yeah. So they've just gone, "No way!" in <laughs> Japanese. Thank you, thank you. A lot of bound, a lot of stuff, and yeah. and then they drove off. And about half an hour later, they just pulled up alongside of me. I'm still just walking around the town. They pull up alongside of me and get out of the car and give me a full size bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken
0: because <laughs> <laughs> they've just
1: gone. What are we going to give this Westerner guy? You know? Yeah, so yeah a good, thank you. Yeah, give me this chicken. So you know, that, that was a that was a good memory. So, how did the handshake deal oh, yeah, to go so we to Europe really come about? Gone That's off the wrong, wrong. So, I was at a. I'd spoken to lots of people, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, about just going to Europe. I wanted to go to Europe. And um, Gary Ben was uh, running the motocross racing team in in Europe mm-hmm. for Yamaha. And he was in Australia for the motocross designations. And I was. I, yeah, I was down there and we spoke. I think it was there where we spoke. And anyway, we sh- shook hands on a deal. And he said, "Yeah, you can come next year, and you can um, you can work for a guy called beverts mm-hmm. um who, uh, who who was racing." But he ended up not getting the contract for the following year. And but anyway, regardless of that, so then driving from I'd, I'd agreed. Yep, I'm off to Europe. You know, so then uh, I drive the truck from there from the. Part not Europe. Where, where, where oh are no, it? no, are we're, we're in the motocross destinations in uh, Manjima. Okay, so, yeah. so WA so, WA, mm-hmm. right? So then I drive the truck, the team race truck. Man, it's all coming back to me now. So <laughs> I drive this truck right all the way back up to uh, to Brisbane because it's a Supercross in Brisbane.
0: Good man, road, good
1: road trip. That's man, big. we didn't we didn't have that much time. It's just just me. I don't know if that was the trip that we drove. Might have been the trip we drove driving there, Dacca was in the truck, right, driving there. Craig right? Deck, yeah. yeah. So I think he's in the truck and it wouldn't even pull top gear across the Australian Bight because the wind was that strong, right? So he just wanted to see. I'm pretty sure this was the trip. And he gets in and goes, fuck it, I'm flying back. <laughs> so so I had to drive this truck back alone. I mean, he didn't drive anyway because he didn't have the truck licence, but he goes, I'm not flying, you know, I'm yeah, flying I'm back. I'm done. I think it was this trip. Anyway, I, Anyway, that did happen on maybe one of those trips. So, driving back, I'm just going, like, eyes are hanging out of my head, you know. I remember hitting some ruse the, and the headlights, I just saw them spiraling off on the wires until they just blew off. You know? <laughs> and so I couldn't drive any further. So, I remember having to wait at uh, Port Augusta, I think, and at Repco to get some new headlights. Anyway, it was, get, get to Brisbane. And Ross goes, oh, you've got a phone call from a bloke called Jeremy Burgess. You've got to ring him back. This is his number. And I go, who's he? <laughs> so I ring this bloke, Jeremy Burgess, and uh, turns out that I'd been, that they're expanding the team in Europe for road racing. And they're going to, um, they need another mechanic. And my name was mentioned because I knew a guy called Peter Laskowski, mm-hmm. nicknamed Buddha, and yep. he, he's, uh, he was Jeff Leesk's mechanic. And I'd met him a few times through motocross saying, I want to go to Europe, I want to be a motocross mechanic. And so he would sort of helped me out a little bit on that. And uh, I had seen him at um, Eastern Creek. For some reason I went out to watch the road racing in Eastern Creek, you know. Mm-hmm. I got some tickets through uh, Mick Doohan's manager at the time. Yeah. But I didn't really know all these people anyway. So it all just sort of all happened, you know. And so Jerry Burgess rings me or I ring him and just go, Hey, uh, I've got a message to ring you. He explains that we're expanding the team. Would you like to work? Um, and I go, shit. He goes, well, it's going to be uh, 50,000. Oh, I think it was 60,000 US dollars, uh, which is like, nearly a 100 grand, you know, like back then with the exchange rate, and I've gone from 20. <laughs> so he's gone, you know, this, and I said, man, I've got the job just like that. And he goes, Well, I can sack you any time I oh, want, <laughs> right? So that's him. JB. Yeah, that's, that's J-B? So I didn't know this guy, right? I mean, clearly I know him now. Yeah, yeah. And then, Then, um, so, yeah, shit, Okay. I don't know what to do. I said, look, I've got to ring a bloke first. I don't know, you know. And so I, because, because of your loyalty, you yeah shaken hands. Yeah, and, so yeah. I was going mm. to go to Europe mm. on the motocross deal. Right, mm-hmm. Either way I'm going, right, yep. so that's, yep. what's, that's what's happened. But I didn't really know much about road racing, didn't know much about any of that stuff. So I, I ring Gary Benner, say, Gary, I've had this offer, you know, but it's kind of it's good money and mm-hmm. uh, yada, yada, and he's gone mate, I think you should go road racing because it's a lot cleaner. <laughs> That's what Gary said to me. <laughs> um, and it, honestly, he, he just went, just do that, you know. Oh, oh, I think he might have said we'll still be here if you don't want to do it or whatever, you know, yeah. but just go road racing. So so if it wasn't for Gary, oh, you know, I wouldn't have accepted JB's offer, I guess. So then I rang JB back and he said, yep, okay,
0: you but got the you, job. You, 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 that, that conversation, from what I can gather, between the, you know, um, finalising the negotiation, him offering the job and, and we're all go, was like 30 seconds or a minute. It
1: was just like bang, 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 we're all done here. And you, and you were like, what? Well, I've got the job, you know. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, and, and JB in his way just like, don't worry, I can sack you any time I want it. So, so then I remember he said, what I need to do now, he said, you need to buy a fax machine because Honda Japan will send you faxes yep. and uh, and you need to be uh, at Phillip Island on this day for preseason testing, yeah, yeah, and that was it. Amazing, Yeah, you know, and that's what happened. So,
0: to join the dots, Jeremy, as you know, has been on the on the podcast and worked significantly with you for the bulk of your your work life yeah. with Mick Doohan, with Valentino Rossi, etc. But your initial pathway here in the expansion of the the team that he was working on was to actually work with. Our good mate Darryl Beatty, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. So, just explain the
1: role that you were going to do there, and your first impressions of Daz when you when you got to meet him. Oh, mate, it was, it was just terrific. I was just so wide-eyed, you know. It was yeah. great, you know. Turn up at turn up at Phillip Island. Never been there before in my life, and meet all the guys, and yeah, it was just it was it was unreal. Daz, uh, and then we, we, Daz and I were both going to Europe really for the first time, oh, so it was mm. it was kind of cool. Oh. What was he like back
0: then? I mean we're we're mates, so we pre- and he hates the whole notion of look in the rearview mirror, how good you were blah 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 all that sort of stuff and and if if we we turn the the pages on his yeah. career, you know he took some mega boxes, but not not a world championship and I often feel for him in that regard because he clearly had immense talent
1: mate yeah. didn't he oh he, he was good enough and and like everything in life, a little you Sometimes you just need a few things to fall your way, way. but mm. he was a good enough rider mm. to be. There. I mean, most of them are, mm. you know, once they get that level. If they just things go the right way, from but he he was good enough. I mean, if, I think if you're good enough to win a race, yeah. then you just need to win more races and you win a championship. championship. So, like, mm. yeah, I mean, oh, anyway, it was just it was just terrific. And his dad came over there, and oh, man, it was just such a good good fun and. I was so green, you know, too. Yeah. I remember turning up to the first time I went away, I had a gear bag, a jet pilot gear bag like <laughs> for for jet skiers and it was massive, massive motocross bag. Yeah. I had that, I had uh, a camera bag like with a video camera and a steel camera because I think I'm going on this world tour of Europe, you know, like I don't know. Got to like, capture all this. What a I was, <laughs> anyway, so I turn up and like JB and all those guys just laughing at me. Right? Yeah. So off we go to Europe with this massive, Bags, huge. I mean, I think we did we did Japan first and a few other things, but I just remember now. I mean, not now, but the, the last sort of twenty years, it was just mm. a wheelie bag. That was it. Yeah. Five jocks, five socks, okay. a pair of jeans you're wearing, a pair of jeans in, two shorts, one sweater. That's it. You know. We'll illustrate more of the the story
0: because your
1: life has been a suitcase mm.
0: for a long time. Just rattle off. The stats for the people uh, that are that are listening was it was it twenty eight years? How, how long had, have you done this for? Yeah, well, then?
1: this is like I was saying to you. I'm probably going to forget all the exact mm. details, but it was twenty eight seasons. Yep. So from ninety ninety three, but well, I started the very last in ninety two was probably the I did the first test at Phillip Island. Okay. And, but basically ninety three was the first season with Daza.
0: And the intriguing thing for me in this, and and it's the way of the world in in motorsport in in many respects. There are a couple of Times where you've had a multi-year deal, a two-year deal, but by and
1: large, it was year to year. Yeah, it? so it was always just year to year. Yeah, racing. Only I only had two two-year deals. Once was with Ducati. Yep. Sort of midway through the whole whole uh, experience, and then um, the the last deal I was on was a two-year deal. Amazing. And generally, it's a one-year deal because I think, you know, they you're racing. You just don't know what's going to happen. Sponsors money. Yep. You know, riders, who knows? You know, a lot's evolved in that yeah, yeah. time frame in the in the sport. When
0: you walked into when you walk into a garage now, I mean, it's beautiful carpet. The the way that the garages are are set up and decorated more or less with yeah. the with yeah. the paneling and the walls and the screens and I mean, it's super professional. Mm. What was it like back then?
1: It wasn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it was it was as but because you didn't know any different or things weren't different, it was, it was still the top of the top, you know, yeah. it was as good as it gets. Yeah. And, and I kind of liked it. Then when I look back, the focus was really on the motorcycle. The focus was on the motorcycle, motorcycle yeah. and how you're going to win that race. Yep. And, and I think they've lost that to some degree. You know, some people argue either way. In, but in what way? What, what do you mean? Well, the show has, is, is in a lot of people's eyes almost seems to be more important than the actual Winning a motorcycle race, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. to a lot of people, you know, managers Mm -hmm. and uh, some of the bigger people, it seems to be the image and the show is uh, seems to be where they spend a lot of their focus, a lot of Mm -hmm. I think wasted energy, and a lot of a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Mm, But yeah, but I've just recently gone to a couple of Australian. Well, I've been to a first Australian race, and and it's back to basics there, which kind of reminds me a bit of the first time. Uh, Yeah. So we'll get to that in the discussion. Yeah. I'm glad that you're still yeah. on the
0: tools, and and the yeah. the Australian scene is is um, uh, you know benefiting from your involvement and Brent's because Brent is there yeah. too. You're your partnering. What well,
1: remains to be seen if it's benefiting. <laughs> but anyway. What happens when a mechanic, a comedian, and a journalist meet at a house in the hinterland? We get a podcast. That was my version of a joke. Did it work?
0: Daz tells a, a good story about, I don't know which which team it was, whether it was Honda or Suzuki or who, who he was uh, working or riding for at the time, but just working with the Japanese engineers yeah. and that crossover. And, and um, one year they were at Phillip Island and uh, crazily, Phillip Island had two back-to-back days that were nigh on identical in, in weather and conditions, perfect, right? So he goes out this particular day, day one, and, uh, you know, kind of in his eyes it's mega, It sets the world on fire, bike's great, da-da-da-da-da, comes back day two, and identical conditions, uh, the Japanese have told him they want to test a few things or, or whatever, um, but he cannot get within a second of the time the day before and it is doing his head in his head scratching. He said, I just about hurled myself over the bars on a few occasions and, and um, he didn't quite get a, a clear answer on the day as to why, you know, was it, was it to tire related? Was it, what, what had changed in the bike? And it wasn't until like four months later and he ran into one of the engineers again and he said, what, what the hell happened there? And the Japanese engineer sort of, you know, um, said to him, oh, you know, Bitty Son.'" A different chassis. They tried a completely different chassis on him, but they wanted—they wanted his, I guess, authentic feedback. They didn't want to, to let him know that they changed something wholesale. I think they figured if he just applies himself the same way he did the day before, we'll be able to really gauge whether this is this is a. He was like, oh, like he, he wanted to pull his hair out when he heard that that story, you know. So, but. But where I'm going with my question here is that that you know now you're playing with one of the biggest teams in world sport or in, in motorsport. You're um, as a as a group, you, you integrate with with the Japanese and what is being yeah. uh, developed and built at the factory, aren't you?
1: When I first started, definitely at Honda and early years at Yamaha, it was a really it was a, quite a. I guess it was a collaboration between everyone. Mm. We, were, mm. that's one of the things that's changed a lot too. But definitely, when I first started Honda, and really when I first started at Yamaha, it was very much the whole group was involved. You know, like mm. the many, the mechanics and the engineers was very much involved. It did, it's did definitely changed over time. But at that time, it was really all involved. And I, I don't think that was that doesn't sound like our story because <laughs> generally we would. It's also, as mechanics, we would have told the rider what how we've mm. and, and the chassis. Maybe it maybe wasn't the, Honda, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. Which, but, which I mean, brand? Yeah, I can, I, but anyway, that, I feel bad for him. No. I can it's understand sometimes, you know, you do not you do not want to tell your rider everything because then they start thinking about that thing while yeah. they're riding, you know. Yeah. But, you know, a chassis, man. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, the stopwatch tells you the answer. You yes. just go, the, the riders are going to try to go as fast as they can no matter what. Yeah. Right? So so okay, we've changed this chassis because we want to see if we can go faster. I mean, that's the whole game, right? Yeah. But anyway, so so
0: ninety three yeah. is is Daz season one. Am I right in in yeah. counting that? Yeah. And then I'm not sure what transpires here, but you end up on the garage with JB and Mick for ninety four. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. And and
1: the path of success begins. Well, well yeah. I mean, I think so. Daryl. Uh, I think he had been asked by Honda to race superbikes, maybe. They wanted him to do that. Mm. And he said, no, I want no way. to stay in GP. Yep. So, yep. and then I don't know. Was so it was the all fated year he we went to Yamaha, wasn't it? With, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so he wanted to keep racing. Mm. And, in, and Honda really, mm. I think they really liked him and wanted him to do well because they had a new superbike. And mm. the, the, for them, that was important, but it wasn't important for Daryl. Mm. So, man, it was, it was a great time, though. And then, so at Christmas time, I'm up on the Gold Coast with. With Mick on, it was just like Miami Rice up there. Like, <laughs> So, so like on a speedboat, Mick's speedboat. He had this speedboat. boat. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, what is, I don't know. Yeah. Man. It was yeah. mental, that thing. Anyway, so we're on this speedboat. I think it was there. It was one of the two boats at the time. Anyway, he just says, you know, I'd like you to come and work on outside of the garage kind of for next year. And I said, yeah, okay. Um, that'd be cool. So yeah. so that was it. So that was 94 and, uh, and uh, Mick... Won the championship that year. So oh, man, real. I, I put it down to me. You put it down, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it was great, you know. Can you imagine? I was a young guy and it was just second year. And it, was, it was just great, you know. Surreal, mate. Oh, so you're, you're, you're part of bizarre. a world championship winning scenario. Yeah, but it. I don't know. I've
0: never known you to get off on that, by the way. You've yeah. never, you've never the whole time I've known you walked around and gone, you know, X world titles or chest out. What well, you just quietly toil away, and it's yeah. Well, it's not my world championship, mm. you know. It's mm. quite, but you played a part in that, though. Yeah, I'm trying to help the rider. Mm. You know?
1: That's the mm. whole. The whole object is trying to help your rider mm. do well. You know, so that's that's the whole. That's it, really. You and get so, to see you get to see both sides
0: of the athlete too. Mm-hmm. So in that moment you recounted a minute ago about the skater, the, the boat, yeah. Man, that thing! When you when you were pinned in that thing, your face would f- would flap. In yeah, the breeze it was
1: so fast. That was such a cool thing. Um, we're digressing here. Um, <laughs> we got we, this is no way going to be even close to <laughs> long enough. This chat. No, no, I can tell already. Um, the the
0: thing is, you get to see him in that casual conversation moment, and and to see the human being. Sometimes I would rock up for for an interview, and I would be super nervous, mate, because he was such an intense cat and so driven. I think you've reflected elsewhere that he just wanted to be first. He wanted to be first at the ticket counter at the airport to fly yeah, home. Yeah. He just he just had such a competitive streak in him. But you, you got to see both sides of that, didn't you, of the human?
1: Yeah, it's interesting also seeing him now, you know, because mm. he was very, at that time, like you said, he was just in time. Him. Time has helped him sort of chill more, hasn't it? <laughs> and yeah. he just wanted to win it. But I, I think part of the thing that helped me is because I wasn't a massive fan mm. of of road racing or, you know, maybe it would have been different if I suddenly was working for Ricky Johnson because I'd had those pictures on my, like, I don't know, yeah. you know, but um, I never, I never, I don't know, I never idolised any of the people I've worked for or mm. anything like that. I've just been like I'm working for you, mm. you're working for me. Kind, of, I don't know, it just never seemed like that. And with Mick, Mick was good because he was, you know, the second ride I worked for. In road racing, but uh, he was intense, you know, like mm. massively wanted to win everything, like I said, you know. Mm. Like, but he once asked me, he said, Oh, you know, what's Valentino like when I work for Valentino? And I said, Mate, after you, he's a dream. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and Mick typically like, well, What, what the, do you mean? What the fuck does that <laughs> I mean? I go, well, what do you mean? What's it mean? You were just like a nightmare, you know. But I didn't know that at all. I had no idea. And mm. he wasn't a nightmare. When no, I say that, no, 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 it's, no. It's, I've I got to say it in a in a that's way that's in perspective. He was, a, he was. He was. He was. He wasn't a nightmare. He was someone so driven mm. that he just wanted to win. And you have to have that as as an athlete at that level. But they right? show it in different ways. Daryl mm. wanted to win. Mm. Uh, you know, every rider I've, I've worked for wants to win like mm. crazy. But Mick, he couldn't hide. Mm. That he wanted to win, and mm. he did it with everything. It was like mm. it was like he was training for racing. Like a I'm boxer. talking like a just mm, everything mm, he did. Mm. Although he was always shit at qualifying, you know, like yeah. so, like you go, man, how you know, he'd qualify sometimes good, but other times he'd just go try that hard, and we'd, we'd end up in like eighth. You know, mm. he'd have to come through the whole field, mm. but you know, that was no problem for him either. But he was just yeah, like like I said, you know, first to the airport, first in the queue, right. first, and you know, he yeah. loved being first. 500 cc's, yeah. two strokes. It's four stroke now,
0: which we'll talk about later. But, you know, everyone talks about what a golden era that was,
1: the riders that were around, mm. the machines. What was that like? I loved it. I mm. loved it. It was just an extension of the motocross engines. You know, they're yeah. just four 125 cc motocross engines bolted together. Yeah, That was it. That was great. I loved it. And my favourite thing was, was working on the cylinders and pistons and that sort of stuff, you know. We didn't really do the the fine tuning that mm-hmm. you that you might think you did mm-hmm. you know you use mas- basically maintenance or the japan had figured out a new spec and then you might grind something to what they had said you know mm-hmm. we we weren't there like just guessing and making mm-hmm. you know changes with porting and stuff but i loved all that you know mm-hmm. cleaning pistons and exhaust pipes and just it's just i still love it i still mm-hmm. love that
0: that group of people um, would become family and the the tight nature of it um was it was a constant through through your career and very clever that people like mick and valentino you know kept that group by and large together over over a long period of time there were some changes but but in essence were there moments where you know because you're playing at the top of the game and you know each other so closely like that that intuitive stuff must help because you can, you can understand, you know, you can read situations, but does that also get tested? Does that, does that, were there moments where you were, you know, it got a bit tense, but you had to let it go. And, and, you know, can you remember moments like
1: that? Or was it, was it pretty good by Uh, and large? In my career, there's been a few like that, but Mm -hmm. mostly not, because mostly the guys that, that spend their time in racing for that long, Mm -hmm one of your attributes is that you generally get on with people, yeah. you know, or you're able to get around a problem like those sorts of social Things. problems yep. without yep. being a drama, you know. Mm. They're the people that have been people that have been in the paddock a long time generally can, uh, can again, get on with people, you know. Mm. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you must be a great mechanic and you must be this, and I go, well, you know, I think I'm, I'm average, I'm this and this, but, you know, as a whole package I'm, I'm decent because... Mm because I get on I don't mind the travel you know mm. lots of things like that you have to be if you're going to be in this game for a long time mm. and people some people come and go and the reason they go is generally because I don't get on with other people people yep. yeah or, or just the lifestyle of of traveling and getting tired and then it's you know puts a bit of stress and the stress of racing sometimes but mm. yeah we, we were always really good we never mm. really had any majors you know. so if I've got my homework right here Bruno,
0: 2000, uh, 1994, yeah. there's a party afterwards to yeah. to celebrate some stuff and yeah. <laughs> you end up going to some club and I think the club's got bouncers with machine guns or something out the front. That's true, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, all true. <laughs> and, and, and in you go, in you go, and uh, <clears throat> there might have been some colourful dances there and at some point the quiet bloke opposite me on the microphone decides I'm going to get up and have a crack at this Dancing or mucking around or whatever you were doing, yeah. And the bouncers came out of nowhere, and then I think, I think Daz and yeah, so he told
1: you the story, guy. and you they, they stepped in and more or less tackled the bouncer or something, didn't they? What, what transfer hype you pretty much <laughs> nailed it? That's exactly what happened. So, we we win the championship, we, we're up at the track, we're all um, I'm we're all drinking up there like out of, I don't know what we're oh, I drinking. can't picture you doing this. No, this and, and it's not really out. me, right? <laughs> okay. So this is probably what, this is causing some of the problems. So anyway, so we start drinking after the race, you know, in, in, yeah. uh, with, in what was this little truck called? we used to call Roger's truck. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so then we, then we, I don't know, we probably have dinner and, and then somebody decides we're all going out to this discotheque <laughs> at, at, the, at the hotel. It was called the Hotel Bobby, which was like, I don't know, it was just a, a hotel discotheque. And it's Czech Republic, by the way, for yeah, people who don't know. Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so they're a little bit they're a bit loose with some of the things, right? So anyway, so we're there and there's this big discotheque. And like some for some reason they wouldn't let us in, right? Because mm. there's a whole heap of people turn up. Like not yep. just not just our team, like lots of the paddock yep. have turned up to go into this discotheque. And uh it's got these big double glass doors, like as if like you open one, go in, then they lock them, you pay your money, then they open the next one, and off you go into this massive big hall or discotheque yep. thing, right? Yep. So there's guys with machine guns there, and just I don't know why that, why I guess they must have trouble. I have no idea why the, where the guns come from, right? So anyway, they're there, and we're all trying to get in and slur and blah blah, and then anyway, some girls from the the press girls, I think at the time, maybe from Marlborough team, I think. Yeah. Yamaha girls. Anyway, so that, they've negotiated with these guys and, you know, and and got us in, right? So off we go. We all go in there and, and uh, having a good time drinking. Daz is in there uh, and Mick and, and everyone. I, we're all in there. And there's these big cages kind of like tubular cages with girls dancing in them, you know, like uh, <laughs> different levels dancing yeah. these, in these sort of like I can't remember if they got lowered in there or they just climbed up and then they sort of did this dance in there, you know, not naked, but you know what I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's provocative sort of stuff. And and everyone's, this music's pumping, boom, boom, boom. And anyway, I must have had enough turps in me to do something <laughs> stupid. So, so I decide I'm climbing up one of these things, right? But the, the girls took it in shifts, so, so there was nobody in the, in the, yeah, in the thing, right? right? Yep. And so I scale this thing, open the cage door, and I'm, I'm trying to get in there, and then this bouncer just rips me <laughs> from, like, the back of the shirt just onto the <laughs> ground and, and then... He's carrying me out, you know, like I'm I'm off and going, you know. And so Roger and Daz have seen this come out of nowhere like just bull terriers and just tackle this bouncer. Yep. Uh, I don't know, because they're they're full of terps too, you know. So <laughs> to tackle this bouncer, we all rolling around and, and then just I just run, you know, it's like I, I didn't look, look back for them, in a run. And so they must have done the same thing. I don't know. anyway, yeah. we that was it. They yep. they sort of we survived and we carried on. I love it. I don't know what happened, but uh, yeah, I just I do remember that, and that was a bit bizarre. What a patch, mate. I mean, that's the beginning of a run of five straight
0: for Michael Sydney doing. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are a part of all of that. Um, is there is there one that is? I mean, maybe the first one that you experienced is is the one. Is there in that block of five? Is there one that was? Tense, hard, forward, and perhaps you savor it for that reason. What is there? Is there
1: it's one hard. There? To, hard I, I can't really remember individual races mm-hmm. as well back then, but yeah, I, I don't really. They're all kind of. If we he could win if we just did our work, you know. Yeah. So like, the pressure was just don't don't cock up mm. because he'll win mm. if we can give him a bike. bike. So yeah, yep. my worry every every race was just. Have we given him a bike? You know, mm. like there's something going or go wrong. Or, mm. So that there was stress from that. But I never ever worried that he wasn't going to win. He was clearly mm. the best rider, and he he wanted to win. Well, there was problems we had here and there, and, mm. and we had engine problems somewhere. Uh, I remember we 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 drop the kilometers to like four hundred k's when we had piston problems and there's always these little things that people never hear about, yeah, you know, yeah. like things break and, and Honda. So just, you limited the running to save it to, to look after it basically. Oh well you yeah, just yeah. start changing the parts like like way under mileage, you okay. know like new yep. piston and new end be bearings. Yeah. Like you know. Yeah. So so you when when you'd be a problem, everything the mileage would drop. So you might mm-hmm. go from a thousand Ks to four hundred Ks, you know? Okay. Yep. And then you'd just be changing those those bits. So Honda would go right up, that's it. And for Honda, an engine is it's everything for a Honda. Mm. For Hondas, this engine. If they have an engine failure with anything, mm-hmm. for them it's just like that's the worst thing ever, you know. Mm. The Japanese you can just see they all just want it. So engines were, were a big thing for a Honda. So if you had a problem, mileage would drop and that meant we'd be working a lot just changing uh, parts to keep them alive. Anyway, so I, I I remember that sort of thing and I remember a few different races and bad weather and... Uh, racing Daz, yep. Daz, Daz uh, was- uh, On the Suzuki at this yeah, stage? Yeah, so the, I remember those sorts of things because Mick was really good at, and most of the riders do this, mm. whether they say it or they don't. They basically, anyone that's competitive against them, it, they build up a hate for them somehow. Mm. Just to, It's just like an easier to race them if they don't like them. You know, mm. they all do it. So they go, if, if he's my competitor, Max Biaggi, or mm-hmm. for, for both Valentino and Mick, you know, they just go, right, I hate him. You know, so and Mick came up against Daz, which is his mate, mm. and I think there was always a slight struggle for uh for Mick because he couldn't do the old "I hate you," you know, because yeah. he was his mate. So I yeah. think I think there was a little bit of a struggle sometimes racing racing Daz. I mean, Mick might say want of those shit, but mm. I I always felt there was it was just a bit harder to beat Daz mm. because he didn't hate him, mm. whereas he was able to hate everyone else. For the time that you're racing, you know, it's yep. like it's it's almost a manufactured hate. No? Yep. Although some of them, I think, still carry it. But you yeah. know, so the, some of those races were difficult when when Dazza was doing well and mm-hmm. we we struggled. We actually were behind him in a few in, in for a championship for a little while. And then I think uh, maybe ninety five. He had yeah. a good year in ninety five, didn't he? With uh, yeah, but then I think he had a big crash, didn't he? Like mm-hmm. in Assen, maybe somewhere like that. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think and the, yeah. Anyway, so. So the bikes in that
0: five-year window, mm. how much do they change? How much do they evolve in that in that time frame? Or was it a case of you guys have fundamentally got something that's good, and let's just finesse.
1: Let's let's mm. keep a good thing. Don't go too far. It really didn't change a hell of a lot, you know. Like it was it was really similar from the beginning to the end. But it's so incremental that you forget. Mm. So when you go to a museum, sometimes now you see the first one and the last one. You go, oh shit, I remember that. You know, they yeah. change, but because it happens. Incrementally, like one week to the next, we might change a little thing, you know. Mm. And by the end of the season, and it still happens exactly now. Like mm. you start the season with a bike, you know, uh, X, and by the end, it's it's a different bike because. Mm. And people always say, "Oh, what about the 2000 bike and the 2001 and the 2000?" You know, because everyone talks in years like cars, like mm. they've bought a new car, like. But it's not like that in racing, but. People talk about it like that, but it's mm. not—it's not the truth. I mean, the truth is you start with a bike pre-season testing. By the end of the season, it's not the same bike, bike. you started mm. with. Mm. Whereas the car you bought off the showroom is the same car. That's so people say, mm. you know, so in nineteen ninety-eight Mazda, you know, yeah. but it's not like that in racing. So people always talk about it, but it's not the same. You know, you can have three bikes before the end of the season.
0: You get along the way in, in um, the job that you're doing to witness some flashpoints for the. The riders that you work with, yeah. okay, and some of them happened, which we'll get to, uh, outside. So they, it was maybe you know Valentino and Casey at Laguna Seca, for example. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about when it's inside the Repsol garage and you're at? I would would imagine if my memory serves you, you're at Eastern Creek. Yeah. yeah, Mick has the coming together with yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alex, wasn't it? A turn, a yeah. yeah. turn nine. Man, how was that day and the fallout from all of that? And and you know how you're you're all you're in effectively the same garage,
1: but yeah. how was how was how was that day? Uh, yeah, I still I remember that. That was that was pretty. Uh, that was a that was a good race until it was a bad race. You know, yeah. from a team's point of view, we mm. had to work first and second. I think probably yeah. or maybe second and third. I think it was first and second we're going for. And I was doing the radios back then. You do the radios out on the circuit, so you do the split time. So I would say, you know, Alex or Mika is in front by X amount of seconds. Yeah. On the radio, at the corner they crashed, right? So I'm at this corner and JB's on the pit wall and I would say to JB on the radio, plus 0.5, you know, Alex plus 0.5, blah, blah, something like that. And JB would, you know, and I remember going, JB, they've crashed, you know, and uh, so they, they got close and they were, they were yeah, I think Mick ran him wide. I think at turn one and turn two, and then I maybe put the slipper into him a little <laughs> bit down there, and then they were just at each other. And then Alex, he came in that that corner. You sort of go around the hill at Eastern Creek, and and then it was a right hand turn. Right, right. I'm standing right there, Yeah. and uh, I'm watching it. And Alex is just like it's he's. In his mind, I guess he's going. I'm, it's, I'm making this bastard. I'm, or I'm not it. making yeah. it, you know. And anyway, <laughs> that noise you can—the noise you hear when you're, when you're—it's uh, it's horrible. But you never forget the noise. It's just this car crash type of noise, mm. you know. But anyway, there they are, and they're having a bit of a go at each other in the gravel there or the dirt. They I think they pick both pick it up and off they go. And I'm just on the radio to JB, oh, mate. They've crashed. Hi, uh, and JB just like he probably would have just put the headphones down and walked in the garage, you know. So okay. this just JB. Yeah. Uh, and then afterwards, in the garage, there was uh, it was going off. There was a couple of mechanics like, hey, you know, yelling at each other. And uh, yeah. I don't know if that was a weekend Schwantz crash too down the main street. That was a big crash. Mm. But anyway, it was yeah, it was going on. And then there was a bit of TV stuff where Alex is like having a go at Mick, and Mick's having a go at him. Uh, It's just racing, yeah. You know, really, uh, just you kind of. When those sorts of things happen, you kind of want to back your rider up whether he's right or wrong. And in, mm. in this case, I think he was in the right, yeah. Know? But uh, just because you know, you want to show him that you're on his side, that's what you want to do yep. all the time, mechanically yep. and and you know, f- with physical sort of gestures just and like stuff. That. You, you mm. want to be on their side so they know you're on their side, side. For, for lots of reasons, you know, but that's just racing, but yep. uh. Yeah, there was a bit of no no fisty cuffs, but just a bit of a bit of tension. A bit, of tension. A bit of tension. You yeah. can find that on the MotoGP website, or probably
0: even on <laughs> on YouTube. We're talking about Alex Graville and McDuin famous moment at uh, at yeah. Eastern Creek, weren't we? So yeah. So five straight, <laughs> yeah. and then Mick has a has a crash in Spain that is uh, life changing, yeah. career changing. When that happened, did you think? that it was severe straight away? What did you think?
1: Um, yeah, I was really worried. I mean, I, I I remember standing in the garage and I remember talking to him just before he went out you know, mm. because uh, it was damp and I remember saying something like, oh, well, I think we said the weather's going to be fine tomorrow, you know, you don't mm. have to, Do don't this. even have to go out, you know, mm. and I don't know, and he decided to go out and... um uh, he, he went round and on the TV, he, he'd made the similar mistake the lap before. Like, I think it was only maybe, look, I could be wrong. It's a long time ago. And maybe on, when someone watches the replay, they'll go, mm. oh, you, you, you're, you're wrong. But this is how I remember it. Basically, he went out to do a qualifying sort of lap. Um, you go down the main straight, up the hill, round, down. And then you can see the corner on the, 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 the signage. You, you can't see the signage, but you see all the tyres. Mm. It's opposite the pits, right? The corner. And on TV, he just kind of hits a white line and like, like the lap before, and you go, mate, just you know, don't do that. You know, right. you, you go, it's going to be in all sorts of trouble. Next lap, he does it and just and has a crash, you know. But at the time, JB, I remember JB was on the wall, like with a with a with the stopwatch, and at the time that he should be about that point in the track, I think he said he just saw like a muffler or something come over the come over the over the wall. Sugar, and but. In, in the end, it sounds like at the same time, a, a guy on a scooter crashes on- I think he was a photographer. Yeah. yeah. like And maybe mm. maybe part of what JB saw was that, you know. Mm. But anyway, Mick's had like a pretty- he's had a bad crash.
0: I think Mick recalls seeing that guy crash midair as he'd been flung Fair off the bike. Oh, really? It's, yeah. it's something like yeah, that. Okay. I may not have it correct.
1: So yeah. it's all happening right mm. almost opposite the pits and, um, and Mick's pretty beat up and- and that was that was the last uh, race in anger. Sort of, he did, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember sitting outside, the, sitting on the concrete step of the medical centre, just sitting there, just wondering what had happened because we mm. didn't know how bad it was, you know. Mm. you you're sure you think of the wor- very worst things, mm. and uh, but then, you know, it wasn't life threatening, but they were bad injuries, you know. Yeah. So he also had like injuries on the upper part of his body from the screws. From they had these. Um, all the signage was screwed onto the tyre walls or mm-hmm. with these big long screws with washers on them and I remember uh, looking at the leathers and later on I think Mick had head like come a holds in his back, like really, I think it was his back where the screws had gone right in, like big, big long mm. screws, you know, like kind of blunt stab wounds, you know, like through the leather and everything from these screws that were holding the signage up, apart from the leg and the other mm. bits of bark and his helmet was pretty barked up and everything. And I remember Jono, his uh, manager, saying, "Look, I, you know, I want you to go up there and take photos of the corner because he was in Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, this was potentially for insurance, you know, type mm-hmm. of thing." You know, so mm-hmm. I remember I had to go up there and I had to take pictures of the paint strip. I took samples for him and like scraped up some paint. And, like, wow! Yeah, all this stuff in mm-hmm. preparation for anything that know, might happen. That, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and the, and I remember looking at the bitumen too. There's big scratches in the bitumen. Where I think the fork legs, had, had the the top of the fork legs, mm-hmm. the, the handlebar part, Whoa. had dug into the ground as, as it left the track, you know. So anyway, it was a bit of a, and he, he didn't ride there again, so. Did you go through then, I mean,
0: obviously, um, you know, he has to make a big career call. Yeah. In your mind, were you thinking because of some of these one-year arrangements and things? Are you thinking I might have to come back to Australia, or, or was the opportunity to you know eventually to to go and work with Valentino was that or was that immediately a, a plan B? What ha- what unfolded there?
1: Um, until until everyone really knew what was going on, it was a, a while, and then Dicky went to America with him. Dicky Smart, yeah. Yep. So yep. He, he's he's got on the plane, and they went to America to see the doctors that they trusted over there. Mm-hmm. Um. And then Honda said, okay, so I think they basically said JB and Dick, um, you can stay home for the rest of the year. And me and and uh, uh, who else was working? Me. I don't know about Buddha. I forget what Bud did. Mm-hmm. I think he, he might have worked home. I can't remember now. God, bloody hopeless. Anyway, I know what I did. They asked me to work for... Um, Sete Gibernau. Yep. So Sete Gibernau was riding a, a twin cylinder Honda, the lightweight mm-hmm. version of the sort of. It was, a, it was a really nice bike, but the V4 was still beating them in most tracks. So they um, they gave him effectively mixed bikes and said, you know, we want you to to show the guys, um, help them on the bike because you know the bike and just work there. So so I did that. All up until maybe at the very last race. They said you can go home now. You don't we don't mm-hmm. you don't need to stay here for the last race, wherever that was. Maybe they're like saving money on a ticket too. Okay. Okay. I forget where. But anyway, uh, said I did quite well. Used to crash in warm up though. It's a oh, man. Right? So
0: does that that like people will be interested in race day or, or race weekend things. When that happens, you know, all the groundwork's done, quality's done, you're in race bike mode warm-up
1: crash yeah how crazy does the day become uh, when that happens it sucks it does sucks it? when they crash <laughs> in warm-up like that's the worst one to crash in you know because especially in recent times like because you if it rains you need two bikes yeah. right so you can't just go okay we'll race we'll have bike b and that's it now you can have two bikes in a race so you've yeah. got to have them both ready so it's always just a massive stress you know getting yeah. it ready but every side of the garage pitches in, you know. So everyone, when when, it, when the shit hits the fan, just everyone. And that's one of the things I've loved about my job, probably without knowing I loved it, you know. When, every, when something goes wrong mm. and you fix it, that's probably the best feeling, you know, mm. like you never want anything to go wrong, mm. but as a mechanic and a team. When you pull it off and you get it. When it goes wrong and you all get it right, you get it together, that's like when you push the guy off down the garage, out down pit lane and you've still got a, I mean, this is, Happens, you know, Mm. you'll have an eight mil spanner in your mouth or Mm. a a ruler, and the last thing you did was just adjust the lever. And like he's on the bike, you're still working, and then you push him off, you know. Mm. But everyone's involved, you it's one of the things that people never really get to see. And if they saw it, they would it's like like an adrenaline rush Mm. from mechanics, like to watch. Got away, with, got away with that, got it done, got yeah, it done. Yeah, but to, to, to watch it happen, like mm. if you had a, a camera in the garage and watched six or eight people and people were just standing around just waiting for something to do, just watching it happen, mm. it's, it's unbelievable. Like six good mechanics working on a bike or eight mechanics, never touching each other, never like running into each other, passing spanners because you can see that that guy's about to do the job and you know what he's going to do mm-hmm. and you've got that spanner in your hand, you go, well, here you go. Yeah, without without talking. Keep like it moving. Keep it. It's, moving, it's, keep it. it's yeah. honestly like I mean, I, you see sometimes in really good restaurants the way people move in a restaurant. Hmm. It's like that, but it's just out of control and the pressure. And then you have idiots come and say, you know, we've only got this much time left, and You just go, <laughs> mate. And everyone just goes, you know, shake. <laughs> all the mechanics shake their head at like it, you know. At one of the sort of pen pusher type mm. people who just go hey, no, as is if is we just, didn't know, lead us to it. Yeah, yeah, or like you know, make sure you do this, and you just go, mate. Mm. You know, and so as as the time counts down in your mind, everyone's got the same clock in in your mind counting mm. down. You just go, you just start cutting corners. You just go, okay, this will survive. This will make do. This will get through the race. You mm. know, so you just go, I'm not doing that now. No time for that. You know. Yeah. So so you can fix stuff properly, as in pull it apart, clean it, measure it. Or you can get it out to try and win the race. So you mm-hmm. can go, mm, look straight to me, just bend it round, you know, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you just, yeah, I think that'll be fine. Japanese mechanics in general aren't that good at that, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the reasons maybe we've had our jobs because they have doubt, you know, they mm-hmm. and they like to um, perfection and and uh... it's like it's like the whole life has been like that. So like they'll look at something and um, they'll have to. Agree as a group that it's good enough. Mm-hmm. Like we'll say, what do you reckon? And one of us will say, should we write, mate? Mm. Honestly, it's like sometimes it's like that and, and we'll just agree with him, you know. If he says mm. it's going to be good enough, it'll be good enough. Mm. So sometimes we've gone to races like, you know, they're, and they're the things that I'm like, I'm getting excited now because mm. it's kind of the best part of the job. Yeah. But the worst part, you know. So I'm talking duct tape and elastic sil- and cable ties and tie wire and just shit that shouldn't be on, man. And you, you, it wins a race, you know, yeah. that's the best if it actually wins. Finishing is good because you know you did a good job. That's the end of part one of my
0: podcast with longtime MotoGP mechanic Alex Briggs. Now, I always promised that Rusty's Garage wouldn't be just about riders and drivers. You can also find former F1 engineer, for example, Sam Michael in our library. And if you're enjoying Alex, make sure you give former chief mechanic Jeremy Burgess, his good friend, a listen as well. Now, we're not done with Alex just yet. Part two has his fascinating take on how the riders get in the zone, the different ways they celebrate, why the Ducati chapter didn't work out for Valentino, plus some under-the-cover-of-darkness negotiations they had to make when the rider changed teams, and the advent of his social media alter ego, the Wrench Racer. It's all there, good to go, in our library right now. All you have to do is kickstart it.
1: Listener.